turn to the book of Acts chapter number 19. And while you're turning, uh, several of you last evening asked me because I ran out of these and it really was not in any way a sales ploy at all, but I did have a few of these left. And so what I've got left, I've got in my hands up here on the front row. But if you're interested in one of these bumper stickers that says without saying a word, I stand for the flag, but I kneel for the cross. Let me know. I'll be glad to put one in your hand after the service this evening. Many of you took me up on that last evening, but uh, I, I ran out and I've got a few more. So let me know if you're interested in one. The other thing that I want to share with you is this, actually two things. Number one, was the choir not awesome tonight? Were the nun sisters not absolutely amazing tonight? All of the music has been tremendous, but while the choir was singing that song about everybody will be happy over there, I, the Lord just sort of nudged me and said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to get the choir from Calvary Baptist Church, Union Grove, North Carolina, to sing that in the Capitol Hill Rotunda in Washington, D.C. Would you agree with that? So I slipped over to pastor and uh, I said, preacher, we got to do this. If there's any way we can make it happen, could we possibly get the choir to Washington, D.C. and let them sing? in the Capitol Rotunda. And he said, well, we can, we, can, we can probably make that happen. And so I would love for you to make that happen. And let me tell you how that works. Uh, we've had groups before. In fact, uh, really this started as far as our ministry is concerned a number of years ago when the Neelands, the Southern Gospel Group, the Neelands, how many of you know who they are? Well, anyway, our son Nathan married Amber Neeland of the Neelands. And uh, both of them are wonderful musicians. The Neelands have been around singing about 60 years and we were doing an event, and after that event, we do an after-hours tour of the Capitol. And part of that, at the end of the evening, after going into the House chamber, Senate chamber, going into the old Supreme Court chamber, which is in the basement of the United States Capitol, we make our way to the Capitol Rotunda. And there's eight paintings around the wall of the Capitol, uh, the circular wall there in the Rotunda. Talk about those a little bit. Uh, this particular evening, our tour guide was Congressman Louis Gomert from Texas. He is a walking encyclopedia of the United States Capitol, as well as U.S. History. And then he said this, I understand we might have some musicians in the group. And sure enough, the Neelands were there. So we had them stand right in the very center of the Capitol Rotunda. And of course, that dome creates uh, the greatest, you know, singing in the bathroom effect that you've ever had. You know what it's like when the porcelain on the walls and you, know, you can hear the reverberation. It's absolutely amazing. And so they sang, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. And that emanated through the Capitol Rotunda out in the hallways over toward the House Chamber, Senate Chamber. And uh, I'm telling you, it literally uh, rocked the place. I don't know another way to say it than that. And it was just a blessing. And then about uh, December of 2019, right before COVID hit, uh, we took 200 people. Can you imagine that? 200 people to Washington, D.C. for four days. We did a thing called Christmas in the Capitol. And the first night we were out at Mount Vernon area near George Washington's palatial home, did a gospel music concert out there with Michael English, the Neyland Citizen Way, uh, several other groups. Nathan and Amber were there. And we had the 70-member Wilmington Celebration Choir. How many of you ever heard the Wilmington Celebration Choir. They will literally light up a room, preacher. It was amazing. And so second night, uh, we were at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And then the final night, uh, we were actually in one of the congressional office buildings. I want to show you how God sets up things that no man can set up. But anyway, when we got into this room that we were assigned to do our concert, uh, it'll accommodate several hundred people. And uh, when we got in there, I realized I have seen this room before. And uh, I realized I'd seen it during the hearings for the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to be the next Supreme Court Justice. And if you watched any of those hearings, you know how the protesters got in there and they wrecked havoc or tried to. And there was just turmoil, you know, for that first day. And uh, the first song the Wilmington Celebration Choir sang inside that room 
It was almost prophetic. They didn't know. They didn't realize the room they were in. But the song they got up and sang was, There's Peace in His Presence. And I thought, how ironic is that? How much of a blessing is that? In this room where confusion reigned for about a week, that choir gets up and sings, There's Peace in His Presence. And men, the Lord met with us that night. And then from there, we made our way over to the Capitol building and into the Capitol Rotunda. And the Wilmington Celebration Choir sang, uh, I stand upon the rock right there, acapella in the Capitol Hill Rotunda. By the way, you can Google that online and look at it and see it. It was absolutely amazing. And standing there was Congressman Mark Walker from here in North Carolina. And I asked him, I said, Mark, have you ever, you ever heard of the Wilmington Celebration Choir? He said, no, sir, I never have. I said, we got about 70 members of that choir here. Uh, could they sing in the Capitol Hill Rotunda? He said, absolutely. And uh, boy, they got about a measure in. He had his phone out. He was filming every bit of that. And it was a wonderful blessing. We had a little lady by the name of Marlena Van Hoos with us that week. Uh, Marlena is the one who sang uh, How Great Thou Art at the 2016 presidential inauguration of Donald J. Trump in the National Cathedral. Any of you remember watching this? They'd had the army band sing and uh, members of the military group sing. And then this little lady got up with just the pianist playing for her. And I remember watching... Down on the second row, I watched Melania Trump weep copious tears the entire time that Marlena sang because Marlena uh, has uh, some physical difficulties. She is physically blind. She has other physical ailments as well, but God has gifted her with a phenomenal voice. And she sang that night in the Capitol Hill Rotunda as well. It was just a time where God descended and met with us. You say, in the United States Capitol, absolutely, in the United States Capitol Rotunda. And so what I would love to see happen, if we can make this work, I'd love to see all 60 members, however many are in the choir. I counted on Sunday, and I think it was close to 60 people in the choir. We'd love to have all 60 of you plus come to Washington, D.C. and let you sing everybody will be happy over there. They're not real happy all the time in Washington, D.C., but you guys can change the climate with that powerful song. Everybody will be happy over there, and we'll have you probably sing several songs, but that's got to be one of them. Put my request in, okay, preacher? But anyway, I'd love to make that happen. And uh, so you, you plan, we'll talk, we'll get a date on the calendar. By the way, for about a year and a half, everything's been pretty much shut down as far as taking large groups into the Capitol. But coming up in October, the latter part of October, our entire ministry team is going to be up there again. And we'll be doing for the first time in about a year and a half what we normally do every three months. And that is we visit every single office of every single member of Congress, all 535, 435 in the House, 100 in the Senate. We visit every single office over the course of three days. And Brother Phil, Morgan, we walk about 18 miles in three days. I'm not kidding, we do. And uh, it's an amazing time and we just minister uh, the gospel to those that don't know the Lord and those that do know the Lord and try to encourage them. And what we're going to be doing in the latter part of October, as we visit each office, we're going to be presenting to them the next four episodes of this phenomenal series on the life of Christ called The Chosen. The Chosen. How many of you have seen that, by the way? We've already presented the entire first season to members of Congress, and they've told us, many of them, when I've been in their office, said, Preacher, we sit down with our family at night and watch the episodes of The Chosen. So we're going to be presenting to them the next four episodes. I thank God for the producers of The Chosen, Matt Faraci and the folks there that have done that at the cost. Preacher, think of this. They spent a million dollars an episode for the first season. And people just like you contributed uh, to that. And uh, that's where all that came from. God did an amazing thing. And so now we're going to give the next four of season two to them. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. And so they've been willing to partner with us and get on board with what we're doing in D.C. 
And so uh, all of that's going to be taking place for the first time in 18 months uh, in October. And I'm excited to get back up there. And then we'll be looking over into 2022, if that's okay, preacher, to try to get the Calvary Baptist Church Choir up there. And uh, we'll just see what God does. Maybe we'll have revival in the United States Capitol building. Wouldn't that be a great place for it to start? God can send revival wherever he wants to send it. He can start it wherever. Doesn't really matter to me where he starts it, just so it starts. And so uh, we're trusting God to do a great thing in the days ahead. So I hope you'll pray about that. One final thing I want to share with you to encourage you. And again, I'm not being political. Please, please don't think I am. I'm just trying to be a blessing to you. Uh, the trajectory that my life has been on, I never dreamed. I never dreamed when I was 16 years of age and said yes to the Lord to go into the ministry. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine that I'd end up traveling the world, preaching the gospel. Never dreamed uh, or imagined and uh, certainly my wildest imagination would have a ministry on Capitol Hill and God would be opening the doors he has. Uh, never dreamed that back on April 12th of this year, April 12th, I had an opportunity, got an invitation to go to uh, Florida, to uh, Mar-a-Lago, which is the home of uh, President John, Donald J. Trump. And uh, I was invited along with, I think it was about 80 other people uh, to be able to be there. And so I went, I won't tell you everything that was uh, about the meeting or the meeting rather was about, but it did have to do a little bit with election integrity and trying to figure out uh, how to get people in the United States of America in addition to that, just to understand our U.S. Constitution. The Constitution is the document that governs this country. It is our nations, and you understand what I'm saying here, that Constitution is based on this book right here, all right? But the Constitution is our legal Bible for the governing of this nation. And whenever the citizenry as a whole, and even people elected to serve in Congress, have never one time, some of them actually got a degree in constitutional law, and they've never read the U.S. Constitution through one time. They've studied case law about the Constitution, but have never actually studied the Constitution. Well, what we've got to do is not only get the the American public once again to understand the Constitution, but we've got to get our elected officials to understand it as well. So anyway, we were talking about that and uh, a multiplicity of other things. But while I was there, I got there early. I'd never been to Palm Beach, uh, Florida before. Um, and so I got there about an hour early, drove uh, onto the, the property there around West Palm Beach and drove, actually drove past the president's estate. And the only reason I knew I'd driven past it because I saw a guy standing out front, very official, and he had secret service on his shirt. And so I realized that's the place I'm supposed to turn in. It's a very small entrance. So I went down, turned around, came back, turned in, turned my keys over to the car. They valet parked my car. And I went inside. I'm about an hour early and I uh, told the lady, at the front desk, I said, my name's Dave Kissler. She said, yes, Mr. Kissler, we've been anticipating you. That kind of concerned me a little bit. You know, we've been into, what does that mean? We've been anticipating you. But anyway, that's what she said, uh, along with 80 other people. But anyway, she said, uh, let me introduce you to George. And she introduced me to a man named George, who for 40 years has lived in New York City for 40 years, four decades, has known uh, Donald Trump when he was citizen before he ever became president. And he said, I'm going to let George take you around, show you around. Now, I want to say this. Uh, years ago, I heard this. To be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be late, and to be late is inexcusable. Can I hear an amen right there? So being early has its benefits. Hope you understand what I'm saying. And an hour early afforded me an opportunity that I never dreamed I would get. George Lombardo, who has known President Trump for 40 years, lives in Trump Tower right now, but he'd come all the way down from New York to be at that meeting in Florida and kind of chair the meeting and so on. Anyway, he took me around on a very special one-on-one -on -one tour of the entire Mar-a-Lago estate. Preacher, it was astounding. 
Absolutely amazing. And when we got toward the end of that tour, he took me outside and he said, Preacher, I want you to look at something. He said, just to the right, up the grass way. He said, you can walk up through the grass there. I want you to do that. I want you to walk up through there. He said, avoid the brush and the trees. You know, it's brush and trees. It's beautifully, uh, you know, done. I mean, it's professionally done, but there's plants and shrubs on this side and then there's plants and shrubs. And he said, stay out of that area because there are secret service hiding out in there. And if you get too far off, they will take you down. Preacher, I walked the straightest line I've ever walked in my life, right up the middle, you know, of the yard and up to where there was a flagpole erected. And George, before he sent me up there, he said, Preacher, he said, I want you to understand how that flagpole got there. He said, Mar-a-Lago, this house, was actually the property of Marjorie Post of Post Serial fame. And she built this estate in 1920. Well, between 1920 and 1985, when Donald Trump, citizen Trump, bought the property from Marjorie Post, in those years from 1920 to 1985, it became a, a, a historical monument or a historical location, which means this, you can't really change the decor. You can't do a whole lot to the inside of the building because it's now become a historical landmark. So anyway, they wanted $12 million for Mar-a-Lago in 1985. Quintessential Trump said, it's not worth that much to me because uh, I can't put my imprint on it as far as decor is concerned. So he said, I'll offer you $7 million. Well, they took it. By the way, it's now worth tens of millions of dollars, as you can well imagine. And in 1985, as soon as Donald Trump bought it, immediately George Lombardo said he erected an 80-foot flagpole with a giant American flag on it because he loves the United States of America. Well, because Palm Beach is a very liberal area, the citizens around him, I mean, imagine this. I can't imagine people where I live doing this. But anyway, they begin to complain, you know, that's that big tall flagpole and every morning we got to get up and we look outside our windows. First thing we see is that giant American flag and they begin to complain. Can you imagine somebody complaining about seeing the red, white, and blue old glory? I can't imagine that. That sure doesn't happen here in this area of North Carolina. And so anyway, they began to complain. And so the city of Palm Beach came to Donald Trump and said, look, I want you to take the flagpole down. He refused. He said, it's my property and it's my flag. So it's going to stay up. Well, they began negotiating and said, look, look, if you would do this, it would help us with the residents, the other residents of Palm Beach. Would you just take the flagpole down, cut 10 feet off of it, put it back up and everybody will be happy. So he agreed. And George Lombardo said, Davey cut 10 feet off the height of the flagpole, but the night before they re-erected the flagpole, he brought his construction workers in. They brought sod in and they put a 20-foot berm there and put the 70-now-foot flagpole back up. So it's, the flagpole's 10 feet shorter, but it's actually flying 10 feet higher. Uh, I love him for that, don't you? I just love him for that. And I praise God for a guy like that. You say, preacher, what are you trying to say? Uh, somebody said to me this week, and again, my confidence is not in any president or any politician. My confidence is in the Lord. Psalm 11, in the Lord, said David, put I my trust. However, I want to say this. A guy told me this week, our deliverer is not, you know, a, a president or a politician. And listen, I get all of that. But I said to this man who told me that, I said, I want to remind you though, sir, that Judges chapter three and verse nine says this, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord and the Lord gave them a deliverer. Deliverer. That deliverer was in the form of a judge. And preacher, there were lots of judges. Samson was one of them. We talked about Samson the other night. Do you understand those judges were very imperfect men? Just like every one of us in this room. But God uses imperfect people for his glory. And what I'm trying to say is this. 
I don't put my confidence for America's salvation in any human being. That's in the Lord. But I am praying, God, give us some deliverers in this country that will step up and in a place of prominence in our government do what's right. And folks, uh, I've been, I have been in the Oval Office. I have been actually in the West Wing where the Oval Office is located. Some of you have heard this, that uh, President Trump had a chart where he had all the promises he had made and on the other side, he would check off when he fulfilled them. Preacher, that's true. When a man says, I will acknowledge Israel and I will acknowledge Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. By the way, not just the capital, eternal capital. That's got prophetic significance. When you start talking about eternal capital of Israel. When a man makes that promise in a campaign and I didn't know if he'd follow through or not, but I thought, you know, the uncertainties I have about him are not near as great as the certainties I have about Mrs. Clinton should she become president. I know what she'll do because I've been around them. The uncertainties I have about him don't plague me near as much as the certainties I have about what I know she will do. And so uh, I cast a ballot, you know, with a little bit of concern. But you know what? I was amazed how he kept that promise. You know what? Every time he speaks, he did it on that phone conversation just Thursday a week ago, as I shared with you last night, talked about his support for Israel. Folk, that is not insignificant because Genesis 12, 3 is still in the Bible. I'll bless those that bless you. Curse those that curse you. It doesn't matter what political party a president is from that supports Israel. Harry Truman, by the way, in 1948, when Israel declared themselves to be a nation again, you know, Harry Truman was the president. And within 10 minutes, 10 minutes of them declaring themselves a nation, Harry Truman, cussing Harry Truman, was the first world leader to acknowledge Israel as a state or a nation again. And I believe God brought blessing on America because of that decision Harry Truman made. So folks, listen, it doesn't matter what political party the person is from. If they follow principles from the Bible and honor the God of the Bible and the Bible that honors God, if they honor both of those things, then there's blessing that's going to come on the United States of America. What plagues me right now is we have many people in high places that have no respect whatsoever for God. Some of you may have seen a discussion about H.R. 5, H.R. 1, which thank the Lord both of those went down to defeat. Can I hear an amen? Thank God so much for that. They were talking about H.R. 5. And Greg Stubbe, a congressman from down in Florida, former, I think, 30-some years, a police chief of his county, best-dressed man on Capitol Hill. I'll tell you that. I love Greg Stubbe. But he quoted from Deuteronomy talking about the definition of marriage, which is what H.R. 5 had something to do with. And in that congressional hearing, when he quoted that, the chairman, when he took back over again, said, what the Bible has to say is of no real regard for this committee. You know what, preacher, if I'd have been in that room, I'd have gotten out of there unless lightning come down. Why didn't lightning come down? Because God's rich in mercy and abundant in grace. We've got people up there right now in key positions of leadership that not just only don't have time for God, they defy the God of heaven. And so what I'm thankful for are those that have acknowledged the principles upon which this nation was built. And uh, I'll say a lot more about that maybe tomorrow night. But anyway, bottom line is this, we've got a lot about which to be thankful and a lot about which to praise the Lord. We've sure got a lot about which we need to pray. But folk, I believe this. I believe this as firmly as I'm standing here. God wants to send revival to America more than we want it. He wants to send revival here more than we want it. So we need to get ourselves positioned for God to be able to do that. Acts chapter number 19. Let your eyes rest if you would please on verse number 1. The Bible says this, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, 
came to Ephesus. Now, I want you to look up at me for just a minute. I want you to stay with me while I set the stage for where we're going to go very briefly tonight. Ephesus was, to the ancient world, every bit of what Charlotte, North Carolina would be to the modern world. It was a thriving metropolitan city. And on a daily basis, thousands of people would traverse through the streets of the ancient city of Ephesus. So when Paul arrives in the ancient city of Ephesus, I want you to look at chapter 19 of the book of Acts, verse number 8. I want you to see what the Bible says that the apostle Paul does. Verse 8 says, and he, the he is Paul, went into the synagogue. By the way, the synagogue was the equivalent in many ways in their day of what the church would be today. He went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now watch carefully, verse number nine. And when divers were hardened, the word divers means all sorts of. In other words, when Paul Pastor went into the synagogue and began teaching and preaching the word of God, not everybody was happy with him. Divers were hardened. Look at the rest of, of the verse, if you would, please. Verse number nine, and believe not, but spake evil of that way. By the way, any time in the book of Acts you see the words the way or that way, it is always a direct reference to the way of Christianity. When divers were hardened and believed not but spake evil of that way, the way of Christianity before the multitude, he, Paul, departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Now look up at me for just a minute. I want to help you understand something. In the book of Acts chapter number 19, we have encapsulated for us the powerful influence of one individual. If you read the entirety of the book of Acts, you can see all the influence that God gave the Apostle Paul. But encapsulated in one chapter is the phenomenal influence of this man that got saved and God used him literally with the power of the Holy Spirit upon him to turn the world really in one sense, not upside down, but right side up. Are you listening to me? Don't ever discount what God can do with your life. I hear this all the time. I'm one person. I'm in the middle of nowhere in Union Grove, North Carolina. How in the world could God use me? Don't you ever discount what God can do through your life. It was a great preacher years ago that said this. The world is yet to see what God can do through one man totally yielded to him. And by the grace of God, I will be that man. And D.L. Moody became a powerful preacher of the word of God and literally shook continents for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. Don't you ever discount what God can do through your life. Here in Acts chapter number 19, Paul arrives in the ancient city of Ephesus. He goes into the synagogue, begins preaching. People get upset with the directness of his preaching. And I want you to understand it was not so much the style of his preaching they were upset with. It had to be the substance of his preaching. All right, And they get upset with him, so he leaves the synagogue, and the alternative place he finds to preach, the Bible says, is a school run by a gentleman named Tyrannus. By the way, the word tyrannous literally means tyrant, tyrant. Can you imagine, Pastor, anybody wanting to attend the school where the headmaster's name means tyrant? Can you imagine that? Well, lest you think the school of Tyrannus, tyrant, was a school like kids attend today. It's not that kind of school. It didn't have chalkboards and chalk and pencils and erasers and desks and that kind of thing. No, the, the school of Tyrannus was actually a lecture hall. Now stay with me. The lecture hall of Tyrannus, to be quite honest with you, was about the size of this section of pews in the auditorium here at Calvary Baptist Church. It was a tiny room in a thriving metropolitan city. 
However, what I want you to watch in your Bible is the very next verse, Acts chapter number 19, and let your Bible, your eyes rest rather on verse number 10. I want you to see the phenomenal impact of one man in a tiny room in a large metropolitan city and how God used him in a powerful way. Look at verse number 10. And this... That is this preaching ministry that Paul had in the school of Tyrannus, the lecture hall of Tyrannus, tiny little room. This continued by the space of how many years? Would you say it out loud? Two years. Now, by the way, most Bible scholars believe to lease that lecture hall, Paul literally out of his own pocket had to pay the rental fee. So he pays the rental fee for two years and over a two-year period of time, watch the rest of verse 10, this continued by the space of two years so that, buckle in tight, so that all they which dwelt in Asia. Preacher, not just everybody in Ephesus, all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Can I hear an amen right there? You say, what's the influence God's giving Paul? Please watch me. The lecture hall of Tyrannus was also something else I have not told you yet. Preacher, it was the place known in the ancient world as being the location that the most brilliant-minded men of Paul's day, secular men, lost men, philosophers, they had a standing invitation to come to the school of Tyrannus, this tiny little room, and preacher, they had a standing invitation to stand up there and teach or espouse their particular philosophy of life. What I'm trying to tell you is the Apostle Paul is standing in the room where the most brilliant-minded men of his day have stood and will stand, only he's not there to teach philosophy. He's there to preach the word of the living God. Can I hear an amen? But he does it, he does it in the halls of learning. In other words, mark it down this way, Paul was known in the halls of learning for his intellect. Known in the halls of learning for his intellect. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Folk, look up at me for just a minute. Are you known in the halls of learning for your intellect? Preacher, it troubles me. Today in America, and I'm not against this. I think we don't have enough of it. If we can go to a ball game and hoop and holler and jump up and down and scream and yell like a bunch of raving maniacs, then we ought to be able to get excited about the eternal truth of God's word and the singing and preaching of it in the house of God. Can I hear an amen? Man, if we can do the wave while we're watching Alabama play, we ought to be able to do the wave while we're praising God. Can I hear an amen? So I'm not against emotion. But I want you to understand something. The words used in the book of Acts to describe Paul's preaching are these. He reasoned with them out of the scriptures. He disputed with them. It doesn't mean he argued with them. It just means this, line upon line, precept upon precept, like an attorney standing up in a courtroom trying to persuade a jury of his side of a case. Paul just line upon line, precept upon precept, just showed people preacher that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Christ, the son of the living God. Can I hear an amen? He reasoned, he disputed, or number three, he persuaded. By the way, all three of those words have an intellectual component to them. Again, I want to pose the question, are you known in the halls of learning for your intellect? A number of years back, I was in a church over in Virginia, stood up on Sunday morning, preached, gave an invitation. Pastor, I will never forget this as long as I live. My pastor friend had just gone to that church. He had only been there maybe weeks, at the most several months. I watched from over here, some people come forward to trust Christ, some from over here come forward to trust Christ. It ended up being this breakdown, three men, three women, 
I watched my pastor friend who I'd preached for at other churches where he had pastored. He's only been here a limited amount of time, hadn't had a chance to really accomplish as much, I'm sure, as he would have liked to with that church. But I watched my pastor friend doing this, and preacher, I could sense his dilemma immediately. Three ladies coming forward, three men. He's looking around trying to find three men in his church and three ladies in his church that he has enough confidence in that know how to take a Bible and sit down with three people seeking salvation and they know enough about the gospel to share the gospel with them and lead them to Christ. Is everybody listening to me? Do you know he could not find three men and three women? So he took the men. His wife took the ladies And he pointed the men to Jesus and she did so with the ladies. Now I've been in that church since, that's all changed, okay? But I wonder, how many of us got it in our head and in our heart? Well, you know, leading people to Christ, that's the pastor's job. No, it's the pastor's privilege, but it's not just his responsibility. If you're safe, you ought to know how to take the gospel and lead somebody to Christ. You ought to be known in the halls of learning for your intellect. Can I hear an amen? By the way, members of Congress are no different than people that live in Union Grove. Oh, they're intimidating. Not really. Do you know they're just people like us? The men put their pants on one leg at a time every day just like we do, fellas. The ladies put the makeup on their face just like sometimes it's a little more expensive makeup. But anyway, they, they, they do it the same way that you do. They're just people who need Jesus. Are you comfortable? Whether it be the person walking the street The person in the echelons of power, are you known in the halls of learning for your intellect? Now stay with me. Not only known in the halls of learning for his intellect, Paul becomes known a second place. Now I want you to look at Acts 19, let your eyes rest on verse number 23. Now buckle in tight. Get your seatbelt securely fastened. Get your airbag ready. I want you to watch Acts 19 beginning at verse number 23. Now watch, this is amazing. Same time period, two years, that Paul is preaching in the school of Tyrannus. Same time period, something else amazing happens which shows you the phenomenal influence that God's giving one man to impact the world. Look at verse number 23. And the same time, the same time, that two-year period of time that Paul is preaching in the lecture hall of trainers, and the same time there arose, I love the wording here, no small stir about, look at the next two words, that way, the way of Christianity. And I love, Pastor, the, the, the wording. It wasn't a small stir. No small stir, which means the opposite. It was a big stir. Do you understand when Paul went somewhere and preached, something got stirred up? How long has it been since when in this community somebody came and preached with such power? How long has it been since we lived with such Holy Spirit anointing on us that it literally shook up and impacted and stirred something up in the community? Been a long time, hadn't it? There arose no small stir. Look at verse 24. What was the nature of the stir? Well, here it is. For a certain man named Demetrius... A silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought, and here's the phrase again, brought no small gain. Man, it wasn't small, meager gain. He's raking in money hand over fist is what it means. He brought no small gain under the craftsman. Now, folks, look up at me for a minute. Who you say, Brother Dave, was Demetrius and who were the silversmiths? Folks, Demetrius and the silversmiths were craftsmen who made about an 18-inch tall statue. Of what? If you know anything about the ancient city of Ephesus... In that ancient city was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
It was a 425 foot long building, 225 feet wide, 127 columns went around the outer exterior of that 225 by 425 to hold up the massive roof that covered the temple of Diana. Diana of the Ephesians. Do you know there had been a meteorite pastor evidently fell from heaven, fell from the skies. They carved out a 50 foot statue of Diana of the Ephesians, put it up in the front of this 425 foot long, 225 foot wide building. And by the way, if that's not impressing you, it should because 425 feet is 125 feet longer than a professional football field. Are you getting a picture of the size of this building? In the front of it, they put a 50-foot statue dedicated to Diana of the Ephesians. And if you've ever thumbed through a secular encyclopedia and seen a picture of Diana, you'll understand why I can go no further describing her in a mixed audience. She was vulgar and lewd in the extreme. Well, Brother Dave, who are, who's Demetrius and the silversmiths? These are guys that make 18-inch tall replica statues of the 50-foot statue in the temple of Diana. They set them up on shelves in the marketplace and they sell these pornographic statues to the residents of Ephesus and to the tourists that make their way through town. In other words, Demetrius Preacher and the silversmiths were the ancient pornographers. Is everybody listening to me? Paul comes into town, rents a lecture hall for two years from a guy named Tyrant, begins preaching the word of God from a tiny little room. Over the course of two years, not only does everybody in Asia hear the word of the Lord, something else happens. You say, preacher, what happens? Look at verse number 25. Now stay with me. This is amazing. Whom he, verse 25 says, that he again is Demetrius, the head of the pornography trade, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation. There was a bunch of competition in Ephesus making these 18-inch tall statues. Normally preacher they're competitors but when Paul shows up competitors cease being competitors and they come again and they begin cooperating with one another because they got a common enemy look at verse 25 again whom he Demetrius called together with workmen of like occupation and said sirs gentlemen ye know that by this craft what craft Making these 18-inch tall images. He must have held one up. Guys, you know that by making this, look at the rest of verse 25, we have our, what's the word again? We have our wealth. Guys, we're making a killing. For may I say this, all during the COVID year, all during the 2008 drop in the economy, Do you know there has been one industry that hadn't suffered anything as far as being depleted or going down or diminishing? One industry, preacher, it's called internet porn. Last year, it was a four billion with a B dollar a year industry. Now folks, listen to me, I love you. But if George Barna is correct, and I believe he's right, when he conducts his surveys, if George Barney is correct, seven preachers, seven. If you count all seven men in any evangelical church, fundamental church, churches that believe the Bible, count off any seven men, and according to George Barna's statistics, four of the seven will be addicted to porn. Are you listening to me, guys? Some of you young men right now are thinking this. I can't wait to get out of here so I can get home, get in my room, take my personal device or my phone, and I can scroll through more pornographic images. $4 billion a year 
last year. And we wonder why the church has no power. And by the way, folks, it's not just the men. Women are getting addicted to porn. I was preaching at a men's conference not long ago and a man sat on the front row. When we broke to go to lunch, he pulled me aside. Preacher, can I talk to you? I said, yes. He said, can I tell you my story? He told me a story. It was a heartbreaking. I heard it many, many times, something similar. He said, I work in an industry, you know, and they have a zero tolerance for porn. And he said, I got involved in some of that on my personal work computer. And he said, they found out and fired me. Sent me home in the middle of the day. He said, it, it hurt for me to have to walk through the plant. Everybody knew there's only 20 some employees in there, small business. Hurt for me to walk through there. Everybody's going to hear somehow that why I got fired. So he said, I figured I may as well tell them myself. So he said, I did. Hey, that's courageous. That's humble. Can I hear an amen? But he said, that wasn't near as tough as arriving at home. In the middle of the day, my bride looks at me, why are you here? And he said, I had to confess to her that I've gotten addicted to that stuff. And then, brother, he looked at me, and here's one of the reasons I'm doing this tonight. He said, preacher, you tell the men of America, you tell the men in the churches of America four words from me, and those four words are these, it's not worth it! It is not worth it! God have mercy. Folks, listen. The pornographers are getting upset with one guy. Now I want you to watch verse 26. Stay with me. Moreover, says Demetrius to the silversmiths, ye see and hear. Watch this, folks. This is amazing. You see and hear that not, not alone at Ephesus. Man, guys, it's not just here at Ephesus we got a problem. Look at this. Not, only, not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia. This Paul, one guy, hath, and here comes one of the words that describes Paul's preaching, he hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft, making these statues, is in danger to be set at naught, but also that, boy, does he wax eloquent here, look at the rest of it, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Can I let you in a little secret? He's not one bit concerned about Diana. He's worried about his wallet. Guys, we got a problem. And our wallets are getting thinner because of him. And the problem, guys, is this Paul. Wow. Preacher, one man, one man, one man, infused with Holy Spirit unction and power. He's not only known in the halls of learning for his intellect. He's known a second place. I hope you'll write this down. He's known in the house of prostitution for his interference. House of prostitution for his interference. You say, Brother Dave, why do you call it that? Now, there's an element of the Temple of Diana I have not told you yet about. I want you to hear me out. In addition to having a pornographic image at the front of that 425 foot long by 225 foot wide building, do you know historians tell us that meandering in and out of that massive structure every day were 1,000 temple priestesses who were nothing more than temple prostitutes who would pander to the lusts of men from all over the ancient world who would come to Ephesus for one reason and one reason only, to worship Diana of the Ephesians and part of worshiping her was committing immorality with one, two, five, whatever you could afford, forgive me, not trying to be gross or graphic, whatever you could afford of those temple priestesses. It was a house of prostitution. And single-handedly, humanly speaking, 
But empowered by God, one guy shuts them down. Years ago, our pastor, who's now with the Lord, took a trek through Hickory, North Carolina. By the way, in 1974, we had one adult establishment in Hickory, North Carolina. One. It was called Marigold's. Used to sit just off exit 125. By the way, God has a sense of humor, preacher. This is so awesome. There was a hill there. Marigold's, it was a massage parlor, set up on top of that hill. Well, they, they ran them out of town on a rail. My dad and Dr. Robert Settle and several other pastors, praise God for men who want to have an impact on the community. They went down to Hickory City Council, petitioned Hickory City Council, said Marigold's is a public nuisance. Homes are being destroyed there. Well, let's shut those people down. You guys ought to run them out of, a, out of town on a rail. And in 1974, Hickory City Council, listen, can I hear an Amen. You know what they did after they tore the building down? Leveled the hill. And preacher right now, Home Depot sits there. <laughs> Think of the irony, Brother Seisloff. Uh, an establishment that was destroying homes morally now has a place sitting on it that builds homes physically. Can I hear it? Does God have a sense of humor or what? That was 1974. One adult entertainment establishment. Several years ago, our pastor, before he passed away, took a trek through Hickory. He called me and said, Dave, can you come over? I want you to show you something. He meandered through Hickory, the streets of Hickory, and he took pictures from his car as he drove by of one, two, three, four, five, six of those establishments. Six. You know what's amazing about that? In 1974, if you thumb through the phone book, you would have found that there were about 125 Baptist churches in Catawba County. 125. Wow. If you'd have gone through the yellow pages and looked right after my pastor went through and counted six of those establishments, you know how many Baptist churches you would have found in the yellow pages? 374. You say, well, preacher, more Baptist churches, more influence. You would hope. You would hope, wouldn't you? But see, with more churches, we've gotten more of perversion. How's that possible? Folks, it's hard to speak with any kind of conviction against a perversion if you're involved in it yourself. I don't quote Shakespeare often in the pulpit, but I'm going to quote him tonight. He said this in one of his plays, Conscience doth make cowards of us all. Conscience doth make cowards of us all. That means this, you can't speak or stand against something when you're involved in it in your private world. Wow. Known in the halls of learning for his intellect. Known in the house of prostitution for his interference. Paul, folks, was a threat to the kingdom of darkness. How many of you know who Dr. Tony Evans is? Do you love him as much as I do? Preacher, I used to listen when I was a college student to the Urban Alternative. It was a 60-second excerpt from one of his sermons that would be played on the Christian radio station in the city where I was in college, and I'd hear that distinct voice of Dr. Tony Evans. By the way, have any of you noticed this? Our black pastor brethren can get by with saying stuff we can't get by with, Brother Steve. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> have any of you read Dr. Evans' book, Kingdom Man? It's awesome, isn't it? Kingdom Man. 
In chapter number one, sentence number one, I'm not quoting, I'm not saying this myself, I'm quoting Dr. Evans, okay, so don't get mad at me. But he says, first sentence, chapter one, he said, a kingdom man is the kind of guy that when he gets up in the morning, puts his feet on the floor, the devil says, oh crap, he's up. That's not me, it's Dr. Evans, okay, so get mad at Dr. Evans. In other words, what he's saying is kingdom men are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Are you listening? They're a threat to the devil. Sir, how long has it been since when you put your feet on the floor? The devil shuddered a little bit. Oh, no. He's up. Boys, we're going to have a rough day, he says to his demon hordes. Because Pastor Steve is up. Guys, we're going to have a rough day today because Pastor Sisloff is up and moving. Wow. Threat coming today. Cause Dave, I hope the devil says this. Cause Dave Kistler's awake now. Hey. But it's not just preachers that are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Guys, ladies, young people, you can be a threat. Amen. Are you known in the house of prostitution for your interference? There is a third place the apostle Paul became known. It's mentioned second in the chapter. I've saved it to last because it's by far and away the most intriguing. I want you to look at Acts 19, verse number 11. Now buckle in tight, for this is so important. I've said everything I've said to get to right here. Acts 19, verse 11. Known in the halls of learning for his intellect, known in the house of prostitution for his interference, he becomes known a third place. Look at Acts 19, 11. Same time period, two years that he's ministering in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, same time period that all this other stuff's happening, this happens as well. Look at verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Now look up at me for a minute. It doesn't just say God wrought miracles. It says God wrought special miracles. You say, well, preacher, I thought if it, if it, if, if, if it was classified as a miracle, that just means automatically it is special. Well, I, I understand that. But these are not just, preacher, only are the way knows it. These are not your run-of-the-mill, everyday, ordinary miracles. They're special. The word special means unique God is working unique miracles. Brother Dave, what does that mean? It means unique to Paul's ministry, not duplicated elsewhere. Well, what was the nature of the unique miracles? Look at verse number 12. So that, watch this, from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, that is pieces of fabric, and the diseases departed from them and evil spirits went out of them. Let me illustrate for just a second. Brother, I'm gonna use you as my, my illustration. Is that Okay. Okay, now I'm not insinuating anything. Please be my friend after this, okay? I need to check on something, though, before we do this. Uh, Abel, are you still my friend, buddy? Okay, all right. By the way, I got to ride in A.B. Baby's new car tonight. The black Corvette out here. I didn't get just to ride. I got to drive it. Thanks to Brother Johnny right there. Thank you, my brother. That was an experience of a lifetime. Awesome. Clipping coupons on being in the ministry by getting to drive that car. That's awesome. Thank God for it. Made my week to be able to do that. I'm okay with Abel, so please don't you get mad at me, okay? I'm not insinuating anything by using this as my illustration. But the Bible says, so that from Paul's body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs. This is not fabric. It's actually a piece of paper. But it's going to be my illustration. From Paul's body were brought unto the sick. I'm going to let you represent the sick. Okay, I'm not insinuating anything. At from his body were brought in sick, handkerchiefs and the diseases, the Bible says, departed from them and evil spirits went out of them. So I'm not suggesting you're diseased or demon possessed. This is just an illustration. What was going on? 
They were laying fabric on Paul, removing it from Paul, carrying it to afflicted persons, laying fabric that had prior been on Paul, laying it on people that were diseased or demon-possessed, and the mere laying of fabric on them that had prior been on Paul caused the afflicted persons to either have their disease leave or the demons leave. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, the Bible calls that, brother, a unique miracle. Unique to Paul's ministry. You see, why do you keep stressing that, Brother Dave? Because I was talking to one of my friends. <laughs> He's a great guy. I love him. But he looked at me when we were talking about this passage. He said, Brother Dave, there's nothing unique about that. I said, well, the Bible says it is unique. He said, well, no, it's not unique. I said, why would you say that? He said, because I watch that kind of stuff all the time on TBN. <laughs> and CBN. I said, what? He said, yeah. I watch them do that stuff all the time. I said, okay, let me ask you a question. If those guys on CBN can actually do all the stuff they claim to do, you know, extract demons out their ears and rub parts of people's bodies and pull tumors, invisible tumors out of their... If they can actually do that, my question has always been this, and this is a totally legitimate question. Why, pastor, do they rent an arena to do that? Why do they rent an arena? I mean, if you can heal people of cancer, I've got a couple of good locations for you to go. How about our Darrell Memorial Hospital? Why don't you go to the cancer ward there and just go down the hallway, that room, that room, that room, and just turn everybody loose if you can really do that, right? You say, well, Brother Dave, of course, they're not going to go to the hospital because, see, at the hospital, they don't have their specially designed platform with their electric shock stuff underneath it. You said, Brother Dave, do they really do that? I talked to a guy who traveled in those circles. He said, you know, Brother Dave, when they blow on people and people fall out, or he said, you know what? They have wired. The ones I traveled with, he said, they wired the platform to give them electric. And everybody said, well, that's the Holy Spirit. He said, no, it was an electric shock. Preacher, maybe there's a reason they don't go to the hospitals. Unique miracles. Folk, I want to show you something. When God is legitimately using someone, counterfeits always show up. Always. Look at verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews. The word vagabond means traveling. Itinerant. Preacher, they had their traveling medicine shows back then just like they got them today. Is everybody with me? Certain of the vagabond Jews, traveling Jews, exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. Wow. Abel, would you come help me for just a second, buddy? Come on up just a minute. Okay. Don't y'all love this guy? Now, I want you to just face me, and, and all I'm going to ask you to do is pretend you're demon-possessed, okay? Can you do <laughs> You don't have to contort or anything like that, okay? Uh, did, I, did I pick the right guy, Lauren? Did I? Okay, all right, anyway. She said, pick him. No, no, she didn't, but anyway. All right, now, you're going to be a supposed demon-possessed person. I'm going to be one of the traveling Jews, the exorcists, because what the Bible says is these traveling Jews took it upon them to call over, call over them that were possessed with evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus. So they're calling the Lord's name over demon-possessed people. And the end of the verse even records the formula that we use. 
And the formula was this. I adjure you. And the word adjure means command. So I'm not really talking to you. I'm talking to the demons supposedly inside. I command you. I command you. In the name of Jesus, come out. Now, we're going to enact this. I want you to watch. I want you to tell me what's wrong with this. Okay? Everybody ready? You're demon possessed. I'm one of these traveling Jews. I come up to you and I say, I command you. Come out, come out, come out of him. In the name of Jesus. Look at the end of the verse. Whom Paul preacheth. Come out, demons. Come out in the name of Jesus. The Jesus that that dude Paul is preaching about. Is that a little odd to you? What's wrong with that? They don't know the Jesus that Paul's preaching. So they have no authority over the demonic world. Is everybody with me? So to have any authority, they have to appeal to the Jesus the one Paul's preaching about. Would you mind sitting right here? Because you're going to graduate in just a second. All right, now I want you to stay right there. Watch your Bible, folk. Look, if you would, please, at the next verse. Verse 14. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, chief of the priests, which did so. In other words, there's a guy in town named Sceva. He's chief priest. He's got seven boys. His seven sons try this little incantation that you and I just illustrated. You know what happens, folks? They get something they didn't count on. Look at verse 15. And the evil spirit answered. It talked back to them and said, look at this. Jesus I know and Paul I know. In other words, come out in the name of Jesus. The demon says, you mentioned Jesus, I know him. Come out in the name of Jesus that Paul's, you mentioned Paul, I know who Paul is. Look at the end of verse 15 though. But I ain't never heard of you guys. (laughs) Who in the world are you? And if you read the rest of the chapter, the, the man in whom the evil spirits were jumped on those seven sons of Sceva preacher and the Bible says he sent them out of the house naked and wounded. In other words, they're talking back and saying, I know who Jesus is, know who Paul is, never heard of you. Ah! They take off running, right? Right? Wow. Now, folks, I want you to learn something tonight. I am not trying to impress you with my knowledge of anything, but folks, in verse 15 is an awesome truth. Jesus I know and Paul I know. You dudes ain't never heard of you. And by the way, you don't scare me. Ah. Do you know we only have one word for knowing in the English language and it's spelled K-N-O-W? Do you know the Greek people had three words for knowing? Three words for knowing. Each of those words for knowledge carried a different meaning. In Acts 19.15, two of those three words are used. When the demon says, Jesus I know, that's one Greek word. Paul I know, totally different Greek word for knowledge. You say, preacher, why two different words? Because the demon's trying to communicate two different things. Come on up, Brother Abel. I want you to stand right here. See my brother back there with that kind of gray shirt, beautiful striped tie. See him right there? Okay, what I want you to do. By the way, you're no longer demon possessed. Can can I hear an amen? All right. Praise the Lord. All right, you're no longer demon possessed. You're going to be the Apostle Paul, okay? You're going to be, the, we had to pretend for the other, we're going to pretend for this. Okay, but you're the Apostle Paul. All right, now, Paul, what I want you to do when I tell you is I want you to walk down the aisle, I want you to walk parallel with where he is, I want you to turn around, just a regular clip, walk down there, turn around, come back and turn and stand just like you're right now, when I tell you to, but not yet, okay? 
Watch. Come out in the name of Jesus. Demon says, Jesus. You mentioned him. I know him. The word there for knowledge is the Greek word epigenosko. And by the way, epigenosko is a knowledge that is gained from having had a personal encounter with. Can I use this synonym, preacher? You mentioned Jesus, I know who he is because I had a run-in with him. You know, Bible scholars believe this demon is alluding to a time prior when he may have been cast out of somebody else by another believer. And he's saying, man, I had a run-in with Jesus and his name is powerful. So you mentioned come out in the name of Jesus. I know who he is by experience. Everybody with me? Paul, I know. That's a totally different word for knowledge. That word means this. That's a knowledge gained from proximity. By being close to. I know who Jesus is because I had an experience, a run-in with him. But I know who Paul is because I've been close to him. I've been in close proximity to him. You say, preacher, what in the world does that mean? All right, Paul, start walking. What the demon is saying is I've followed Paul in close proximity. I've watched him. I've looked for weaknesses in his character. I've looked for chinks in his armor. I've looked for ways to get him to lose his temper. I've looked for ways to get him to lose his testimony. I've followed Paul up close and in person. And the implication of what the demon is saying is from me following him, what I've observed about him is he's the real deal. But you dudes, you're not real. In fact, I've never even heard of you. Let's give our buddy Abel a round of applause. Amen. Thank you, my brother, so much. Thank you, brother, so much. Thank you, thank you. Wow. Known in the halls of learning for his intellect, known in the house of prostitution for his interference, here comes the big one. Paul has now become known in hell. Preacher, a demon imp from hell speaks and says, he's real. He's real. Brother Dave, known in hell for what? Known in hell for his integrity. You don't get a better statement as to a man's integrity than when a demon says, I've followed him. And what he appears to be on the outside is exactly what he is on the inside. What he is in his public discourse is exactly what he is in his private world. He's real. You guys, different story. And you don't scare me. Boo. (laughs) Now folks, stay with me. Well, Brother Dave, it's just people like the Apostle Paul that demons follow. Oh no. Oh no. Folks, this principle, this concept, this truth of the demonic realm following people is as old is the oldest book in the Bible. The oldest book in the Bible, not the first one in order in, in, our, in the canon, the way it's laid out. The first book laid out in the canon is Genesis, but the oldest book is the book of Job. Preacher in the book of Job, there came a time, the scripture says, when the sons of men presented themselves to the Lord and Satan came also among them. And the Lord, the Bible says, looks down at Satan and he asks an intriguing question of the devil. He says, Have you ever considered my servant Job that there's none like him? He loves me and he hates evil. Have you ever considered? Literally it means this. Have you ever noticed my servant? And you know what the devil says? Yes, I have. 
And what I've noticed about him, Lord, is this. You've kind of blessed him on every side. But my assessment of Job would be this. If you'd allow me to take everything away from him, he would curse you to your face. You remember what God says? He says, okay, you can take everything he's got, but don't you touch him. And when the devil's given permission, he knows, listen to this, folks. He knows where Job kept his camels. He knew where Job kept his sheep because the devil goes and wipes those out. He knew where Job's children lived because he sends a, a, a strong wind to smite their house. How did the devil know all this stuff? He's not omnipresent. He's not present. Every, you know how he knew? He'd followed old Job. He'd watched him. And his assessment was way off. But see, he's trying to move God, tempt God. But see, God knows Job. And folks, I want you to understand something. Demon hordes followed Paul. Demon imps followed Job. And friends, they follow us. How else do you explain that you can get up earlier every other day of the week, but on Sunday morning you get a few extra hours to sleep in and you're more tired on Sunday morning. I'm so tired. And you know what? You can drive without any problem whatsoever to work with your wife. But on Sunday morning, something's got to get you into an argument on the way to... Has anybody noticed that? You know what it is? It's the demon hordes of hell trying to stir controversy before you get to the house of God and worship the Lord. Do they follow us? You bet they do. Now I want to ask you something, men. Ladies. What if tonight, and by the way, Pastor, it's only happened one time in 36 years personally to me. I was preaching at a youth rally. And it was in the early days of our ministry and I was talking about rock music. And as I was talking about it, played a little excerpt of a demonic sound coming from some rock music and a girl in the room screamed with a guttural demonic voice, Stop! Stop! It's only happened one time. What if tonight the demon hordes of hell who normally remain silent while they do their destructive work, what if like in Paul's day they chose to speak? About what, Brother Dave? About what they know from following us? Guys, I wonder what they would say. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. But I wonder what they would say if they spoke out about what they know. About observing us in our private world. What would they say? Not picking on anybody. About you, my brother. say ladies young people what would they say would they say oh I know I know I know, how you, I know, I know how you go to church and, and you put on your your best you portray your best side but see I've watched you in your room and on your computer and in your car, when nobody else is in the car. 
Yeah, I know what you appear to be. But I also know what you really are. Would they say that? Or would they say, what he appears to be on the outside is exactly what he is on the inside. And when that guy puts his feet on the floor in the morning, all of hell trembles. What would they say? You say, preacher, that scares me. It should. By the way, if that frightens you, can I tell you what will terrify us in a good way? Preacher, it's that little statement that Hagar said when she's out in the wilderness. She's under a shrub bush with her little baby. And she just says, Thou God seest me. See, Brother Charles, all the demon hordes of hell can observe us our actions. And from our actions, they can form a lot of a well-educated opinions about what's going on inside, but they can't see inside. But see, God doesn't just see actions. He sees motive behind actions. Thou God seest me. What I'm trying to say, folk, is this. Revival will come when our outside world and our inside world are the same. Known in the halls of learning for his intellect. Known in the house of prostitution for his interference. Known in hell for his integrity. And one man impacted the known world. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you'd be so kind as to do so. Father, would you help us tonight? Lord, I have no way, I have no way. I have no way time-wise, I have no way, Lord, because it would be heavy. It would be heavy beyond belief if I could share everything about which I am privy as far as to what some people want to do in our country. What some people have set in motion with critical choices they have made to try to undo our religious liberty, stop what we're doing here tonight from being even a possibility. Father, I can't go into that for the sake of time, and Lord, I don't want to discourage anybody. But Lord, you know, all of that can become a mute issue if, if those of us who know you in this room are as real deep down on the inside as we appear to be on the outside. So Father, strip away our thin veneers tonight. And Father, I pray with everything that's in me, if there are those in this room that do not know you as Savior, you know they don't know you. Lord, the demon imps of hell have a real good idea they don't know you. And Lord, most likely they know. Father, I pray you'd help them to come to you tonight and be saved before it's eternally too late. And then, Lord, help those of us who do know you to be willing to get real and right with you so that there is indeed, as the old song says, nothing between our soul and our Savior. And Father, for what you do, I'm going to thank you.
Friends, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to ask you just a couple of vitally important questions. Question number one is simply this. Not do you know that Jesus is your Savior, but do the demon hordes of hell know? Do the demon hordes of hell from watching you live your life outside this place, outside this place, do the demon hordes of hell, do they know, have they come to the very clear conclusion that man, that woman knows Jesus? If the demons were to speak tonight, if you believe they would say of you, Yes, he saved, she saved. I've watched them. Their life bears testimony to what they profess with their lips. Would they say they believe you know the Lord? I want you to make an assessment, sir, ma'am, young man, young lady. And if you're convinced, not only do you know the Lord, you believe the demon hordes of hell have come to that conclusion. You're saved. If that's true, would you lift your hand and hold it as high as you can? Dave, I'm saved. I believe the demon hordes of hell have come to the same conclusion. Thank you. You may put your hand down. Second question. By the way, Christian friends, if you know the Lord, pray. Are there some in the room tonight? Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart. Because you're not really sure you know Christ. And the thought of the demon hordes of hell speaking about what they know paralyzes you. Friend, can I ask you something? Are you not concerned about your uncertainty about where you stand with respect to your eternal destiny? Because you need to be beyond concerned. Jesus is coming back soon. I'm surprised we're still here to be candid. But he's coming. We're either in the bottom of the ninth or maybe we're in the top of the ninth. But he's coming soon. Is there anyone in the room that would say, Preacher, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm afraid the demon imps of hell have come to that conclusion too. I'm not sure I know Jesus, not sure I'm going to heaven, but I'm concerned about it. And preacher, I'm concerned enough that I would like you to pray for me. Friend, I'd love to have that privilege to pray that before it's too late, you'll be saved. If that's you, not yet sure you're going to heaven, but you'll give me the privilege of praying for you right now while no one's looking but me. Thank you, God bless you for lifting your hand. Are there any others? Thank you, God bless you for lifting your hand. I appreciate your courage. You may put it down. Thank you for your concern. Are there any others besides these? Preacher, I'm just not sure, but I want you to pray for me. Are there any others besides these? And you lift your hand right now long enough for me to take note of it. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you so much for your concern and courage. Are there any others? Preacher, I'm just not sure. It's no shame not to be sure. The shame would be to not get it settled and end up in hell forever. Are there any others? While I wait just a moment. Father, I pray for these who've lifted their hand. Lord, I thank you for their courage, their concern for their own eternal future. 
Lord, I thank you that they've given me the privilege to pray for them. It's an honor to do so. And they've graced me with the honor to pray. And Lord, I do pray for them with everything that's in my being. I pray that tonight would not just be a night when they'd lift their hand and then just leave it at that and try to walk out of this room into the uncertainty of this night. Lord, rather than doing that, I pray they'd be willing to go just one more simple, simple step. I pray they'd be willing, Lord Jesus, tonight just to let someone take a Bible and from the Scriptures in a quiet place, show them how they can know you, how they can know their sins forgiven, how they can know without any doubt that they're going to spend eternity with you in heaven. Lord, I'm asking they get it settled forever tonight. And for what you do, oh God, I'm going to thank you and give you all glory. Now, dear friends, you've listened so well tonight. I want to ask you, just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Pastor Steve, would you mind coming and standing right here at the front? Thank you so much, my dear friend. Now, folks, no one's looking tonight but me, and I appreciate that. Please cooperate. And you are so wonderfully. Again, I don't always do this, but because of the urgency I felt this week, and I certainly feel it tonight, I'm going to go this next step. Three people lifted their hand and said, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. They know who they are. I know who they are. They know where they're seated in the room, as do I. But more important than any of that is the fact that God knows, friend, everything about you. And friend, He loves you. He brought you here tonight to hear the truth. He loves you. And more than you want to be saved, He wants you to be saved. So while no one's looking but just me, if you were one of those three that lifted your hand, I want to ask you to do me just one more simple favor. Would you just look up at me so my eyes can see your eyes for just a second? Just look right up at me. Were you serious about that? When you, all right, keep looking. Were you serious when you lifted? Praise the Lord. If you were, could I ask you something? No one's looking but me. Would you be willing just to step to where pastor is? Let him put someone with you that'll get this thing settled tonight. Nail it down and leave tonight knowing Jesus is your Savior. Would you be willing to come? God bless your heart for your courage. Thank God for you. Friend, how about you? Just get it nailed down. It's no shame not to know. It is no shame not to know. It is no shame to have doubts and wonder. What would be so tragic is to never get the doubts or the wonder resolved. You can get it resolved tonight. Will you come to Jesus, dear friend? Some of you are thinking, well, I can't do that in front of everybody. What would they think? Who cares? They'll think the right thing at this church, trust me. But in one sense, who cares? It's your eternal destiny. Christian friends, one final question for us. Please don't raise a hand outwardly to this. But the question is simply, are you deep down on the inside what you appear to be on the outside? Are you deep down on the inside what you appear to be on the outside? Are the two the same? To the point that while none of us are perfect, no, far from it. But we walk with God and our desire is to please Him. And from watching our life, the demon hymns of hell, the hordes of hell have come to the conclusion, that lady, that man, that young man, that young lady is real. And they scare me. Are you deep down on the inside what you appear to be on the outside? If there's some area where you're not, can I implore you about this tonight? Tonight's the night to deal with that. I want to ask all of us with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, just to stand to our feet quietly.
We're going to have an invitation and it's going to be this way with the help of the Lord. If there's something you need to deal with in your life, it may be so small somebody else thinks, oh, that's really nothing. But the Holy Spirit's turned the spotlight of His Word on something you need to make right with Him tonight. It may be an attitude thing. It may be a crossword said to a spouse or to a member of your family. It may be some attitude that has crept into your heart, but it's there and the Holy Spirit's turning a spotlight on it tonight. You need to just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to confess that for what it is. I don't want anything between me and you. I want to be deep down on the inside everything people think I am on the outside. I want to be real and right with you. I want to be real, God, and right with you. I don't want anything between me and you. I want to be real and right with you. If that's the desire of your heart, Christian friend, to be real and right with God, tonight, would you be willing to do this? Don't wait for someone else. Would you be willing to step out and find yourself a spot around this altar and say, God, I want to be real through and through and right with you. If that's the desire of your heart, God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. How about you, dear friend? I want to be real and right with God. I don't want anything between me and my Lord. I want to be, God bless you, dear couple. I want to be real and right with God. Nothing, 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 nothing between me and my Lord. I want to be real and right with God. How about it tonight, friend? Maybe for you, this just needs to be, to borrow a phrase we're hearing a lot about today, a booster shot. Maybe you're right with God right now, but God's speaking to you and saying, look, it wouldn't hurt for you to go down there with your wife, with your husband, or by yourself and just say, Lord, help me. Help me to stay real and right with you. Don't let the wicked one slip me a curveball. God bless you. Help me to stay real and right with you. God bless you, folks. Don't let me fall for a curveball. The devil may try to throw me. Help me to stay real and right with you. God bless you, friends. Nothing. Lord, don't let me allow anything to come in that would keep me from being that which you want me to be. Genuine, real, and right with you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for recording in the pages of the book of Acts this phenomenal account of Paul's ministry in a city called Ephesus. Lord, so many times I fear I have, we have read through this chapter and not really considered the powerful impact and the influence you gave one man over the known world. Now, Lord, I know we're not called to be apostles, but Lord, we are your disciples. And Lord, we can have an impact beyond anything we've ever imagined. And Lord, the devil wants to sell us short and convince us we can't have that kind of impact when you tell us we can. So Father, I pray tonight we would live the truth that the sky is indeed the limit when someone is real and right with you. And Father, I pray you would empower us and send us out, Lord, at this strategic time in world history to be world changers for the glory of God. 
May we move out in the power of your spirit like never before with all sin confessed. May we live that way. And Father, may your divine anointing rest upon us. And Father, may we have an influence like you gave the great apostle of old. Now, Lord, bless us. Pastor Steve comes to close this service. Guide him so powerfully as you have every night. And continue your work in our lives tomorrow night for your glory. For it's in your name I do pray.